Psalms chapter 30. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. Question, question. Have you ever done something dumb and then regretted it? Have you ever done something that was so dumb that you got right in the middle of it and you started regretting the choice that you made and it was too late and you were suffering the consequences of the choice that you made and you just felt like, is there any hope? You ever been there before? Well, let's read Psalms chapter 30 because that's what this psalm is all about. I'll read verse 1. You read verse 2, verse 3, and following. Ready? Verse 1. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. By the way, before y'all read, can I just say amen? Aren't you glad that God hadn't allowed your enemies to triumph over you? I'm glad God hadn't, not yet anyway, God has chosen to not allow my enemies. And you say, preacher, do you have enemies? Do I have enemies? And I don't even want any. And I got, so I got plenty of them. I'm going to have to leave this church one of these days so people can come back over here again. Yeah. I have made through 20, going on 27 years for some reason, I have made a lot of enemies. But so far... The Lord has not allowed them to rejoice over me. <laughs> not yet, anyway. So I just want to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. Now you read verse 2. Ready? Let's read. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Now let me just say verse number five is a great verse. You may want to mark this verse in your Bible if you don't have it marked. Verse five, for his anger endureth but for a moment. Stop. Amen. Aren't you glad he don't stay mad at us? His anger endureth but for a moment. Man, I ought to just stop and give an invitation right here, shouldn't I? His anger endureth but for a moment, and his favor is life. Now watch this. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Can I stop and say amen? All right, you got verse 6. And in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Lord... By thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper." Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and be not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Psalms chapter 30 is another one of those psalms as we have been making our way through the psalms in a series of messages that I've obviously called Preaching Through the Psalms. Tonight we come all the way up to the 30th division or the 30th chapter of this great book. And once again, as has been true with so many of these first 30 psalms, we find once again that David 
is the writer of Psalms chapter 30. You know, David wore a lot of hats during the time of his life. I mean, David was a son and a shepherd. He was a servant and a soldier. He was a spouse and a sovereign. He was a saint. He was also a sinner. But probably the greatest thing that David was known for was the fact that David was a psalmist. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. In fact, we read that right here in these verses here, in that last phrase there, said, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said. So David is known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. So he wrote the majority of the psalms, and then not only did he write the psalms themselves, but most of them he actually put to music as well. Psalms chapter 30 is another one of those psalms that David penned, but unlike so many other psalms that we have been through thus far, we are not left to speculate the occasion behind the writing of this psalm. See, right there in the superscription of this psalm, here's what we read. A psalm and a song at the dedication of the house of David. So David wrote this song when he dedicated a house, and then he put this psalm to music, and no doubt on dedication day, they sang this psalm as David dedicated his house to the Lord. But now, here's the problem with all that. We've got to ask ourselves, which house is he talking about? David lived in a lot of houses during his life, so we're really not sure which house that David was writing about when he said, hey, I want to dedicate this psalm and this song as we dedicate my house unto the Lord. You see, we find that David lived in this house in 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we read these words, and David went on and grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Saul is dead. David is now the established king of the nation of Israel. The Bible said he went on and, and, he, and he became great. He was the, the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then we read this, and Hiram, king of Tyre, and that was one of the allies of David. Hiram, the king of Tyre, uh, sent messengers to David, and watch this now, cedar trees, carpenters, and masons, and they built David and house. We go on to read this, I think. And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his, pe for his people, Israel's sake. So we find that Hiram sent a lot of wood and sent the masons and the carpenters over there to build David a house. And by the way, I guess as we think about that house, we could probably see David saying some of the things in this text that he had to say at the time of the dedication of that house. The only problem with that was there was another house that David built and dedicated as well. There was a time in David's life when David messed up. And when I say the phrase messed up, can I just say he messed up on steroids? I mean, it was bad. He, he, he messed up bad. And as far as the record of the Scripture is concerned, it was probably the biggest mess that David had ever made the biggest sin that David had ever committed. Now, automatically, you're thinking right now, it's Bathsheba gate. I know what the preacher's going to preach about tonight. He's preaching about Bathsheba. But I think if you understand the Word of God, as bad as that sin was, and as sinful and as sordid as all the details were, that was not the greatest sin that David ever committed. You say, preacher, you're kidding. He did something worse than that. Yep. David numbered the people of Israel. And because of that, it became David's greatest sin. Here's what we read about it over in the book of 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. 
watch this now, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to do what? To number Israel. Now, we would say that, that uh, he took a census. You know, our government, every 10 years, takes a census here in the United States of America. We have to fill out those census forms and send them back in. And because they want to know different things about the population, the demographics of the population of, of our nation. And they take a census. I heard about this, uh, this old boy that lived way back up in West Virginia, way back up in the mountains. And one day this stranger comes, got a suitcase, he got a suit on, he knocks on the, this old guy's door and said, uh, he said, uh, sir, we are here. The man went to the door. He said, yeah, can I help you? He said, yes, sir. We're here to find out exactly how many people there are in the United States of America. And that old boy scratched his head and he said, well, I hate he sent y'all all the way up here because I have no idea how many people there are in the United States of America. But every 10 years, our government takes a census. Well, David, the Bible said, numbered the people. And by the way, look who was behind it all. Who prompted David to do that? And Satan stood up. You know, anytime you and I uh, get ready to do wrong, can I just say that somewhere back behind all that is a person by the name of Satan. Can I tell you something? Every sin that has ever been committed, if we could somehow dust, dust the fingerprints on that particular sin, I'm telling you, every time we would find the fingerprints of Satan behind every sin that is committed. He is the father behind every lie. He is the death angel behind every murder. He, he is the prompter of every act of... I'm telling you, Satan is behind it all. When are we going to learn that he don't care one thing about us? All he wants to do is to drag us down, to defeat us, to keep us morbid and miserable, to keep us dirty and depressed. And when are we going to be through with that rascal? Can I have an amen? We ought to be done with him. If you're saved tonight, you and I ought to be done with the devil. Now, I know, I get it, he ain't done with us, but we ought to be done with him. Satan stood up. He's behind all this. But notice how God responded. Verse 7, And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. Now, wait a minute, let's get this straight. So David took a census. Satan prompted him, moved him, tempted him, uh, whatever. And David took a census and God got ticked off about it. What is to get ticked off about? A simple thing like taking a census. You know, God, in throughout the other uh, books of the Bible, we find that God commanded different people to take a census. You know, right when the children of Israel was in the promised land, God stopped the whole thing and said, Moses, come here, Moses. He said, I want you to number the people of Israel. In Numbers chapter 1, in verse number 1, we read this. The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day of the second month and the second year after they would come out of the land of Egypt. And here's what he said. Moses, take you the sum of all the congregation on the children of Israel. In other words, he said, hey, go number Israel. Let's find out how many, how many we got in the land of Israel. And then 25 books, 25 chapters later, as they came to the end of their wilderness wanderings, God said, Moses, after 40 years, come here. And in chapter 26, we read these words, came to pass after the plague, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Eleazar, uh, the son of Aaron the priest, saying, take the sum of all the congregation of Israel. Hey, you did it when we started, and now that we're at the end, and we're about ready to cross over the Jordan River and enter the promised land, take another census. Now, what's the difference 
between Moses doing that and David doing that? Well, I hope you notice the words. God commanded Moses. Satan provoked David. You see, here, here's the big difference. Uh, here's the big difference. Satan was moving David to trust those around him more than the one above him. Can I have an amen? David was, uh, Satan was tempting old David to uh, trust those he could see more than the one that he could not see. You know, we can't see them, but right here tonight, man, there's more with us than there are with them. Can I have an amen? Hey, I know we may in this world, we may look like we're outnumbered. We may be uh, in the moral minority anymore, it seems like, in America. But I just want to tell you, we got more on our side than they got on their side. Problem is, we just can't see all of them on our side. And, and David was moved by the devil. The devil lifted up the heart of old David. And David, uh, he realized that there would be a tendency to trust all of those around him more than the one above him. And there would be a tendency to trust the ones that he could see more than the one that he could not see. And because of all that, I read it to you, God was mad about it. In fact, can I tell you this? God was so mad, listen now, that 70,000 people in the land of Israel, died because of what David did. Seventy, not seven, not seventy, not even seven hundred, not even seven thousand. Seventy thousand men in Israel died because David took a census. Yeah. And then you may remember right at the end, the Bible said a terrible pestilence a pestilence broke out among the people of Israel. It was the COVID before COVID was cool. And it broke out in the land of Israel. 70,000 men died. And the Bible said an angel of the Lord drew his sword and was getting ready to slaughter all of Israel when David ran to the threshing floor of a man by the name of Ornan. He said, Ornan, I've got to have this threshing floor. And Ornan said, you can have it. I'll give it to you. And by the way, what you going to do? I'm going to build an altar. I've got to try to appease the wrath of God. I'm going to build an altar. And Ornan said, okay, you can have the land. And by the way, I'll, I'll supply the oxen. I'll supply the wood to build the altar. You can have it all. And David said, I'm not about to offer to God that which cost me nothing. So he paid him for the land and the carts and the oxen. And David built an altar, offered a sacrifice on it. And the anger of God was appeased. Let me tell you what was so important about that place because that was going to be the place where Solomon was going to later on build the temple, the threshing floor of Ornon. And the Bible said that David there at that place dedicated, he didn't get to build the house of God. God had Solomon to do that, but there David dedicated that place to the Lord. Now, if you were to ask me which place I could see more of this psalm being written about, I would say the, the threshing floor more so than David's, David's palace. So I'm going to approach it from that standpoint, like a pestilence has broke out. Oh, my goodness. Thousands of people are dying. David made a dumb choice. Everybody's paying for it. And how do you get out of a mess like that? Now, I want to ask you again, have you ever done something stupid? You ever done something dumb? You give anything if you could go back and undo it. It's too late now. You're right in the middle of it. You just feel like you can't even hardly breathe. You don't know what you're going to do. 
And you cry out to God and say, God, you've got to get me out of this mess. You ever been there before? <laughs> Maybe some of you are there. Maybe some of us are there in that place right now. Well, if that's your case, Psalms 30 is for you. I'm going to play tonight. I'm going to play on the word over, O-V-E-R. My three points, I'm going, to, I'm going to play on that word over. First of all, I want you to look at verse number 6, and I want to talk a little bit about David's overconfidence. He is overconfidence or overconfident. Look at verse 6. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Can I, you look at me, can I tell you something? We should never say that. Look at me. David is now the king of the nation of Israel. It's this particular time. Things are going great in his life. And all of a sudden, man, he says, look at me. I've arrived. I'm there. In my prosperity, ain't nothing going to move me. He got a little bit overconfident. And can I just say tonight, we know that David was a man that God said was after his own heart. But I got to tell you something, old David was still just a man at best. What is it we say around here? People are people and nothing more. And God is God and nothing less. But I'm going to tell you something. The best of us, guess what? The best of us is just an old sinner. We ain't worth the gunpowder tape to blow us up. I mean, we're all just people. We know David's sin with Bathsheba. We know, man, he was made out of the same stuff we are. But now we find David, man, pride playing into his life. In my prosperity, look at me, I've arrived. In my prosperity, I said, nothing's going to move me. I'll tell you what, God knows how to move us. Can I have an amen? I see a little bit of pride playing into David's heart. In fact, I think really the whole thing behind the numbering of Israel was maybe just a pride issue. You know, if you look around in our auditorium, the one thing you won't find in this auditorium that you find in most churches is a board. I'm talking about a board that displays the offerings and how many was in Sunday school and how many is in preaching. We used to have one of those when we was back down at the old church. And when we come to this church right here, I said, one thing we're never going to put up in this auditorium until the next preacher comes and that preacher can do whatever that preacher wants to do. And he may want to put a thing up. I don't know. But I said, Let's, we're not going to put a building up because it ain't about numbers. It's about God. Sometimes when you see those big numbers, you have a little bit of tendency to say, look at us. Man, I tell you, we're getting it done, ain't we? So we don't put a board up around here because it ain't about that. Even though we count, I understand, we count our buses every week, but when's the last time you heard me stand up and say how many we had in Sunday school or how many we had in preaching? We don't do that. We don't count that here. Uh, we don't ever want that to become an issue here. And that David, David in our text seems to be a little bit prideful. The whole thing behind the numbering of the people seems to be a pride. By the way, did you know, I didn't read it to you, but guess who tried to stop David? Joab. Joab said, David, we don't need to do this thing. Joab had the spiritual IQ of a, cockro a cockroach. He had the spiritual IQ of a, of a rock. Joab's never seen in a good light in Scripture, and yet Joab stepped up and said, David, you better think about this thing. We better not do this. It may displease the Lord. And old Joab was giving David some godly and good advice. David is messed up. He's numbered the people. He's become overconfident. 
You know, I think sometimes if we're not too careful, we can become a little bit too overconfident. I've told you this the last two or three nights, and I've got to really hurry through this, but uh, the last two or three uh, Wednesday nights we've been in this, but I think maybe one of the reasons God allows things to come into our life is to keep us humble and dependent upon Him. I think all of us in here know that those uninterrupted periods of good, good in our life is a real peril to our souls. Uh, again, all sunshine and no rain would make us a desert. The truth of the matter is God allows things to come into our life because if they don't come into our life, we become spiritually careless and we may forget uh, the God who has been so good to us and helped us. One of the things that Moses was so concerned about when the nation of Israel crossed that river and got into that land of Canaan and they started living in houses that they didn't build and they started eating from vineyards that they didn't plant and they were going to start drinking from wells that they didn't dig and they were going to start wearing clothes that they didn't sew. One of the things Moses was so concerned about was when they got over there, there'd be a tendency to forget the God that had been so good to them. So Moses stopped everything in the book of Deuteronomy and said this right here. Deuteronomy chapter number 8, and he said this right here. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He said, don't you get over there and forget how good God's been to you. Why, if it wasn't for God, you'd still be down yonder in Egypt in bondage. And then he went on to say this, same text, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Can I just stop and say everything we got, God gave to us? Oh, you say, preacher, I have you know I get up and I work hard. Look, who gets you up in the morning? If God didn't give us air to breathe, friend, none of us would be around here. God's the one who gives us the power to get whatever it is that we get. And God is the one we need to look up to and keep our eyes upon. And Moses was so afraid that when they got over there, settled down in Canaan, that they would forget God. I asked Brother Mark to put this on the screen for me. Look at this statement, and it says this. The world is the this world is the sworn enemy of that world. Everything about this world is geared to pull our attention away from that world. It is the, this world is the enemy of that world. We got to be careful that we don't get so pride, prideful and so puffed up at what we've got that we forget, man, this world is not our home. I'm just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Oh, the kingdom was established in the David's hands. The days of running for his life are now over. His heart's lifted up. And if it can happen to David, it can happen to you and it can happen to me. Can I tell you one of the reasons that I believe the Lord instituted what we call the Lord's Supper? And we gather here a couple of times throughout the year and we partake of the Lord. You know what I think the Lord did that for? Just to stop us and say, remember me? If it weren't for me, you'd still be in a mess. If it wasn't for my body that was died on Calvary and my blood that was shed for you, you would be a mess. I want to leave you this verse and I'm going to get off of this. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, look at this. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? The answer, nothing. You don't have anything that you didn't receive. You say, preacher, where did I receive it from? 
James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything good in our life that we have, God gave it to us. Let's don't ever get to the place, we say, in our time of our prosperity. <laughs> I'm never going to be moved. Overconfidence. Number two, not only was we see his overconfidence, we also see David overwhelmed. If you read through this chapter, we find out that David is being severely chastised in this chapter. Notice some of the things that he says in this chapter. Look at verse 2. I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. So evidently this pestilence that's upon all the other people in Israel, David's suffering from it as well. And David said, I cried out to you, and you have healed me. Verse number 3, thou brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive. On down in this chapter, he's thanking the Lord for what the Lord has done for him. Look at verse 8. I cried unto thee, O Lord. Unto the Lord I made supplication. He talks about there in verse number uh, 10. Hear me. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my help. God, I'm in a mess. I, I've made bad choices. My, I've failed you. I've messed up. And Lord, people are suffering because of the choices I made. Oh God, have mercy upon me. He's overwhelmed. First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 14. Look at this verse right here, right in the middle of all that. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel. Read it with me. Seventy. Dave, don't you ever tell me that your sin don't hurt other people. Oh, somebody's told me before. Oh, man, I ain't, preacher, I know I ain't doing right, but I ain't hurt nobody myself. Are you, who are you kidding my sin would hurt my wife. My sin would hurt my family. My sin would hurt this church. My sin, most of all, would bring grief to my Savior. It would, uh, it would uh, quench the Holy Spirit. Man, I can't sin without hurting. It's not just my decision, my choice, what I want to do. No, sir, friend, who are you kidding? There's a family at stake. There's a spouse at stake. There's a church at stake. Most of all, there's a Savior at stake. Our sin hurts others. So David is just saying, God, please, you have got to help me. I am overwhelmed. Can I just stop and say that God has his way of humbling us, doesn't he? God knows exactly where to touch us to get our attention. God knows how to bring us back down to reality. Can you just imagine how David felt? He made the choice to number Israel against the advice of Joab. He makes the choice to number Israel. Satan has moved him to do that. Can you imagine? All these people are dying. He's just getting word constantly. The doorbell's ringing in the palace, and there's a man standing there. Hey, your good soldier, so-and-so just died. Hey, David, over on Simmons Street, over, over in, in, on Jonestown Road, David, 25 people they just found in their home. Can you imagine the anguish that David is going through because of what he's done? His overconfidence has now brought him to a place where he's overwhelmed. And we read these words in 1 Chronicles 21, 17. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil, uh, done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, speaking of the nation, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house. Be not on thy people that they should be. David is in anguish and he's crying out, Oh God, they didn't do it. It's not their fault. It's my fault. God, bring judgment and wrath down upon me. I think overwhelm would be an understatement as to how David is feeling at this point. Overconfidence leads to being overwhelmed. 
But I want to go back to verse number 5 and I'm done because by the time this psalm ends, he's not only overconfident and overwhelmed, by the time the psalm ends, he's overjoyed. Overjoyed. You say, preacher, how do you get he's overjoyed? Look how he concludes the psalm. In verse number 10, he says, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. And then he says this in verse 11. It's like a switch is flipped. Then he says this, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. You know why David is overjoyed? Because of that statement I read in verse 5. Go back to verse 5. For his anger endureth but for a moment. Aren't you glad God ain't like people? You do too. I mean, I'll talk about me. I won't talk about you, but I've got people that I've made mad. Sometimes out of just pure innocence, made people mad before. Sometimes it's out of spite. I got to confess. Y'all pray for me. But I have, that's not many times, but most times it's out of innocence. People get mad at me. Maybe somebody says, hey, preacher, will you remember this? Hey, preacher, would you mention this? And then I, I, I got a one-track mind. When I get up here, it's about preaching. It ain't about remembering. So if you want me to remember something, you better write it down and hand it to me. But I've done that before, and I've made people mad. And I tell you something, people, they don't get over it. You ever made somebody mad before? And now we are, here we are 27 years later, and they're still mad at you. They don't turn loose of it, friend. They don't get over it. But aren't you glad we serve a God that simply is said about him, his anger endureth but for a moment. You know those young ladies that used to sing that song around here, patching it up? You remember that song, patching it up? And it starts out bad. It talks about, you know, what if you, I can't remember the words to it, but what if you went to God and, you didn't care anything about him, and you wanted God to do something for you, and God said, I'm not going to patch it up. I, 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 that's not the words of it. I'm, 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 I'm embellishing it a little bit. But then at the last verse of that song, it, all, it says this, but God will always patch things up. You know what that tells me? His anger endureth but for a moment. You say, preacher, I have done something. I have messed up. I, I shouldn't have done it. I got good news for you tonight. If that's your case, his anger endureth but for a moment. And then he goes on to say this, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. He's always willing to patch things up. And I'm done with this, but listen, this amazed me. I got to thinking about, he, he mentions night, before morning. You know, if you were to go back to Genesis in the day, seven days of creation, God always put night before morning. I don't know what it is about night, but when you're sick, it always gets worse at night. When the sun goes down, the fever goes up. When the sun goes down, the body aches more. When the sun goes down, the sickness is more severe. And all throughout the book of Genesis, God kept saying, and the evening and the morning, and the evening and the morning with the first day, the evening and the morning with the second day, the evening and the morning with the third day. God always puts the night before he does the morning. And right now, we're in the night. But bless your heart, there's getting ready to come a morning. 
We may be having a tough time right now, but there will come a morning. And David said this in verse 11, God has turned my morning. And I hate to even say this as a Baptist because I preach against dancing. Last preacher that got around, Baptist, uh, got around dancing, last Baptist preacher that did, lost his head. John the Baptist. That's why when these folks want to get married and they want to dance, I always leave. And I, I'm just up, I tell them before, y'all want to go somewhere and dance? Yes, sir. Well, preacher, I ain't staying. I, I'm not staying for that. I'm not getting around dancing. I ain't no better than anybody else. I still get behind the door and cut the inspirations on, cut a rug and bust a move or two myself. But I ain't dancing. No, sir. The last Baptist preacher got around dancing, they cut his head off. Y'all dance if you want to. I ain't doing it. Can I have an amen? Yes, sir. That's why y'all to get married in church. I love y'all. I love you with all my heart. I do love y'all. Whatever. I don't even care. God turned his mourning into, and I won't say that word, and then in verse 11, it said, He's put off his sackcloth and girded him with gladness. Sound like everything worked out. All right. You know why? His anger endureth but for a moment. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God.